Welcome to the Spine Step Home Seller podcast. The goal of this episode is to help you become the just a smarter seller. Tactics that you can learn to uh, you know improve your business tomorrow. I've got with me uh, someone who is one of us, but actually changed a little bit. Um, uh, I have Jeff Schick. He was a Amazon seller for many years. Helped him get through uh, law school. And, uh, you know, he uh, turns out Amazon sellers like do need lawyers for a variety of things. And so um, what's a lot of fun about talking with Jeff is that like he, he does really understand how a seller is thinking because that's how he started. Um, Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. How did I do on my intro? You did great. So uh, <laughs> I guess I should... The only thing I'd add to that that people forget is that I started back when Amazon was the Wild West. So I was actually, you know, I think it's kind of funny. I started on Amazon in 2011 because I wanted to buy a MacBook Pro. And I thought that it was just going to be a way to save up some money, like sell on there for like a year and and turn pet shampoo into a MacBook. And then the pet shampoo turned into way more than just a MacBook. So yeah, it's uh, it's funny how that works. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So you've been around for a long time, seen all the different phases that Amazon has gone through, you know, yeah. and and like uh, to those listeners, I bet you we're going to uncover Amazon has made a few mistakes along the way with how they've handled sellers, with how they've handled handled legal challenges, and uh, you know, sometimes they've even suspended the good guys, like you know myself. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that, that's joking, but um, uh, I really do appreciate someone that's like you know not just like a consultant, but like a lawyer um, who uh, was a seller. So uh, tell us a little bit more about your your story, and then you know what brought you into exactly what you're doing now. Gotcha. So yeah, my story begins in 2011. It's actually June 11th. I remember the date because I was applying for a, uh, a legal position and they wanted on one of the background check forms to know the exact dates I sold on Amazon. And so I reached out to Amazon and they sent me an edit audit report showing the first item was added to my account on June 11th at like 2 p.m. So I was like, that must be when I started selling on Amazon. Um, but long story short, I started back in 2011. It was just pet shampoo. And it was that was it was before the days of FBA. I, FBA was just rolling out. So when I first started, it was FBM, and they had popped up when I was buying textbooks. It said, "Hey, would you like to sell uh, products on Amazon? Get a free trial for six months and not pay the forty bucks a month fee." So I clicked yes and started basically going around. My mom had a veterinary hospital, and I was trying to see what could I find there that would maybe sell on Amazon. Which is how I got into pet shampoo because it didn't require a prescription and it was, you know, seemed like it would be something interesting to sell. Um, and then from there, I just started selling more and more. Uh, learned about repricers in about 2012. That was like the next big game game changer for the business. Then FBA enrolling in FBA, that was the next one. And then uh, fast forward, you know, business just kept growing and growing. 2017, I switched to an algorithmic repricer. That was a huge game changer because it would tell me um, when to order products and how many to order, and that really took it to the next level. And then it well, just you know, yeah, so, 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 sounds like you're selling your pricers here. <laughs> no, I know it's just it's weird. I, let, let's I, let, let's say names. Who was your first repricer? They're not around anymore. Oh no! Okay. 
<laughs> but uh, the second repricer was Feedvisor. They okay. did a good job. So yeah. I enjoyed their software. Um, and it, no, it was interesting how it, uh, how different tools. That was the first tool I ever bought though, when you think about it. So yeah, a lot of no, people always really, ask. That, um, for, I would say a few years, the only real tool that people were using was repricers. This is like 2013 to like 2016. Um, yeah. There wasn't much else. Um, and there's, it was, there's no community either, at least that I knew of. So yeah, I yeah, felt yeah. like I was selling in a vacuum. Like I was just like, I must be the only person selling that I can figure out, you know, except for people on the listing. My, I might, you know, I'll look back in years and I'll be like, my biggest mistake was not realizing there was going to be a community because in 2013, I was building software tools for just us as an Amazon seller. And um, if I had the perspective that like, hey, you know, I build this for everyone. I'd be, uh, uh, you know, we, we could have predated, uh, you know, Jungle Scout, which, you know, they've done, they've done all right. But uh, I'm, uh, we'll, we'll be a, we'll be a second mover. We'll use the second mover's advantage. We can see what they've done yeah. wrong. And, and uh, shoot, this will be, this will be another tangent, but like I've seen plenty of things that they've done wrong. And um, maybe I should uh, do a, a podcast just calling out like competitors. That might be a little bit too juicy. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that under wraps. But um, so yeah. yeah, you've been around a long time and like have seen some of the, the, the waves. Um, right. Then uh, you, you said uh, you use uh, Feedvisor. What made you, after like doing all that experience, be like, oh, yeah, I think I just want to do law school? So back in, so my kind of like my dream was always to become a lawyer. Okay. So back in 2011, I was in college. I was, um, I think I was still a junior. And for me, it was like selling on Amazon allowed me to like, this probably sounds really lame. I didn't really enjoy like the college scene that much. Like I didn't go to parties or whatever. I was just a nerd. I had almost a 4.0 GPA. So I just, all I did was just study all the time. So for me, like my biggest thing that I loved about Amazon was that I was like buying all this shampoo and just getting so many sky miles so that I could fly home and just like go home and see my family and friends back in Atlanta and escape the colder upstate New York cold. So I would just be like, so it was sort of like that was, so it was like buy a MacBook you know and get plane I, tickets. I think there's way more nerds in the end. Like this is like, what are we? We're like just dealing with numbers and like, uh, yeah. and you know, selling stuff, logistics, like, it's a pretty nerdy space. I, what I mean that is like, like it requires like intelligence and whatnot. So there's probably, what's funny is there's so many people like you, you know, that probably had a very similar uh, education experience. But what's surprising is you go to the, all these events nowadays and it's just like, it's all party and drinking all the time. I mean, I, like, there's like after parties to after parties. And um, I've, I've gotten plenty boring now. I, I, I'm going to go to bed by 1030 or 11. You better be really interesting and funny for me to stick around longer than that. <laughs> I think what might also have changed it too is like, I, one of the sellers once told me this. They said, this is just uh, people's chance to finally have like the high school and college experience they didn't have before, <laughs> but now they have money. So it's like, they, oh, so sure. like in college, people would be like, oh, I got to save up for this 48 pack of Labatt or whatever well, that they, they would drink. And now it's like, oh, I got to save up for like this bottle of Patron. Like, it's yeah. just a different, you know. Well, you know, Thrasios have them layoffs. So, and my comment is that, you know, it just means there's going to be a little bit less free alcohol um, yeah. at events. So you have to pay your own way. Um, 
Okay, so, um, well, there's a few specific, I mean, there's a, a few reasons I wanted to bring on the podcast is because like, you know, from your perspective, like uh, a lawyer who knows, um, you know, how most sellers operate, you know, how we think about, you know, like our goal is really just to grow sales, like that's it. Anything that gets in the way of that is like just not fun. Uh, right. And, um, but uh, you did bring up one really interesting subject about like, I want to talk, I mean, I want to bring you on to talk a little bit about some of the changes that you've seen from Amazon in the last, yeah. you know, few years. But one specifically is about like uh, buyer fraud, where yeah. like, you know, uh, I'm sure it's happened for like a decade, but like, uh, it's such a big channel that, you know, you're going to attract all sorts of like uh, schemes, scams or whatever. People like yeah. buying something and like trying to find ways not to pay for it or return it or whatever. Right. So absolutely. It's really interesting. I My first experience with buyer fraud was actually 2017. Um, this is the first one that it's memorable, I should say. I mean, I'm yeah. sure it happened before then. But in 2017, I remember one day getting a box of Amazon removals, FBA unfulfillable removals. And in this box, two, so I used to shrink wrap all the bottles of shampoo before they went out because otherwise they would spill in transit. This box came back and it had two bottles of shampoo. Each of them were not in shrink wrap, but the FBA item sticker had been cut out and then taped back on and glued, or glued back on to the bottle to make it look like it was supposed to be that way. And instead of there being shampoo in the bottle, there was just water. And I was just like, it was so striking to me to see that somebody would cheat you out of a $25 bottle of shampoo. And I was just like, I can't believe this, but I, you know, I hope their animal really needed it because at the end of the day, I was doing this obviously to make money, but also to help animals because I was getting animals, you know, shampoos that normally would be 50 or $60 in a vet hospital for 25, 30 bucks. So they could, they can afford it. So I just had to chalk it up that this was a charity case. Um, but going on as an attorney, now I've seen it on such a different scale. So we see it in the arbitrage world. Um, I've seen, you know, where sellers will come to me and they need help because someone returns a pair of $200 Nike sneakers. And the one, you know, they sent out a brand new pair and they receive a very used pair that's not even the same. You know, it's, maybe it's the same model. But it's not, you know, it's obviously not the same pair that those shift out because it's, you know, I had, I remember one case, it was uh, the seller got back um, like four pairs of football cleats, where I guess the family had bought all of these on an order, got new cleats that would fit their kids for this year's football season and returned last year's model in the boxes instead. Um, more recently, I worked on a case a couple of weeks ago where a seller sent out a gaming PC. And the buyer opened up the PC, they took out the graphics card. And if, I'm sure you probably know about this, you know, graphics cards in a gaming PC can be $2,000 just on their, themselves. And they swapped it out with from a, I think it was an NVIDIA 3080 was the graphics card, if I'm not mistaken. It's with the, the high-end new one that came out. And they put in like a 2040 in its place. And they thought that that would just sneak on by and they'd be fine with that. Um, and they returned it back to Amazon saying that it didn't work correctly. And the seller got it back. And You know, um, the ticky tacky ones, I don't know why those ones bother me more than like, uh, you know, like the, the, the big stuff. Because I feel like um, something that's like less than $50, 
Uh, it just feels like someone like was very personal about just like, just like really just like taking like the last $20 out of you. And it's not even worth it to like go to Amazon. It's just like, not like the fight to do. Whereas like, you know, there's like, it's something that's like a thousand dollars. That's actual fraud. It's like, okay, let's see, you know, the channels that Amazon's provided. Um, I don't know. That, that, that's my gut reaction. Yeah. I get what you're saying. It absolutely. Although the, 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 the couple thousand dollar computer definitely hit the seller pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, of, of course. Um, yeah. so, uh, um, what, I mean, this is just clearly buyer fraud and like, uh, do you see this happening in mass or some people like getting really good at it? I think that it's half, I mean, so for somebody to come to me with the problem, obviously it's gotta be decent size enough that they, because I, I haven't had anyone ever come to me with the $20 bottle of shampoo like I experienced. And I don't think I would have ever taken that to my attorney, you know, either, because it, like you said, it's just easier just to like, it, yeah, it felt you know, like, it felt really dirty getting this box back. And I remember, like, I still remember seeing it and being like, wow, I can't believe someone did this to me, but then I just threw it away. So, you know, like, and then I just moved on because I was like, I don't have time to take photos of this and, you know, study for law school at the same time. Like it's, you know, big priorities. Uh, we, 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 we had a butter keeper. Uh, this is a product we sold a lot of a few years ago and it was returned with butter in it. Someone used it. Yeah. So it's so. also kind of gross because I had a roommate from, uh, from Europe in law school and she would leave butter on the counter instead of in the refrigerator. So I'm just thinking of how that, consistency of that butter keeper um, yeah, must have been pretty gross. <laughs> it, it was kind of gross. So, yeah. I mean, what, uh, okay. So say these things happen. What can you, like, what has, has, how's Amazon addressed this and like legally, like what's their liability here? So it's interesting. Um, theoretically you could try to go after the buyers if you wanted to, but no seller is really going to do that. Problem is like, if you send them a demand letter, for instance, uh, Amazon could come back and suspend you for a seller code of conduct violation. So buyers typically don't, I mean, sellers typically don't go after the buyers who commit these frauds, yeah. even when they're legally entitled to do so, because they're too afraid of what Amazon might do as you know, retribution for, for circumventing Amazon platforms. So a lot of times that leaves you to just go to Amazon. Um, in certain cases, some, some, like some, most of the times Amazon will do its right. But I have noticed that lately they try to lowball. So, you know, like for that pair, the instant where it was like the pair, all the pairs of cleats, those were $150 shoes and there were four pairs, $600. Amazon wanted to offer them like 25 bucks a pair. Not okay. You know, like that's not a reasonable one. You push back enough and they eventually give you, you know, your either the retail value that they're supposed to give you or they'll give you the, um, you know, what you paid for it. And Amazon doesn't usually get that right. Uh, in the case of the computer, it was actually really interesting. Um, the seller went to Amazon, submits all the claims, and Amazon comes back and offers $25 for a for a several thousand dollar computer with a $2,000 graphics card that had been stolen out of it. And Amazon wanted to offer a $25 courtesy adjustment. Um, we went through multiple rounds. We finally had to get Amazon legal involved, and we we're like, this is here's pictures of it here's everything that's going on and they finally came around and, and issued a refund for the whole amount and and did what was right but it was not they didn't want to so are they punishing buyers in any way 
So unfortunately, that part of the investigation doesn't get revealed to sellers. So okay, they, but like you're, you're not like hearing or seeing any like trends. Uh... Um, so I have not had any buyers reach out to me in a good couple years. They when I first launched my legal practice, I had a bunch of buyers that would call and they'd be like, I need help with this issue with Amazon. And I'd be like, okay, well, I can help you with that, but it's going to cost money. Oh, well, no, I, I just want a refund from them or something. So I haven't had any buyers reach out to me lately. Um, I also don't think I'd be super sympathetic to a buyer if they try to show up and be like, my Amazon account was shut down because I was defrauding sellers on Amazon. Probably not going to go very far. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's gotta happen. It's, uh, yeah. Well, um, it's glad that like at least some results can get fixed. I've heard of, you know, people like selling, you know, computer equipment, like someone orders like, you know, $30,000, $40,000 at once of like hard drives or whatever. And um, and like that, that raises all sorts of bells and whistles because you're like, well, this person is just like, like your liability is just too high. And right. the chances of fraud is just like, you know, even if it goes from like from like one uh, percent to ten percent, like it's like I wouldn't take that bet. Like you, you, you don't have upside if you have someone buying stuff in bulk in a way that like you really can be out uh, a lot. Um, right. I don't know. There, there, there certainly would be like some. I have to imagine that like, you know, I'd want some protections there, or like some uh, at least, I guess, you know. Well, I'm talking to a lawyer, so, so some representation in those right. scenarios. Absolutely. And unfortunately, Amazon doesn't typically really offer that much of a security net. It's, uh, it's, it'd be more fraudster friendly than it would be seller friendly in that sort of situation. And that's just the unfortunate reality of how they do business because every Amazon buyer is innocent until proven guilty. And every seller is not really guilty until proven innocent, although a lot of people would like to claim that in the seller forums. Yeah. But they are there is a level of suspicion against certain activities that sellers do. You know, so. yeah. No, you're I, I agree with you. And especially like the way you said, like, ah, like sellers aren't as innocent as they will make you think. They're not necessarily if if they're coming across as innocent, they may just have been negligent of like some of these details that like, hey, you know, by the way, you should know this. Uh, <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's interesting. A lot of times sellers will give me half of the picture when we're talking about something. And then I'm pretty good at, you know, I guess I'd say I'm pretty good at my job and I'm pretty good having been on the platform for so long at like real recognizing when there's gaps in the storyline of what somebody's telling me to be like, well, what about you mentioned this, but you didn't really follow it up with this. Let's talk about that missing component. And then they'll be like, well, is everything we say confidential? Yes, it is protected by attorney-client privilege. You can tell me anything and it doesn't go beyond this conversation. Even my notes are confidential. Okay, well, in that case, <laughs> there's a lot more levels to this or layers to this onion that I'm going to go ahead and start unraveling yeah, and tell you. I love it. Um, that's funny. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess your experience is the same. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll be truthful. Like when we've been suspended, I think, you know, I was like, we could have done more. Um, we could have, uh, uh, I mean, actually some of them were suspended. Like it, there just wasn't really good documentation. Like Amazon didn't even have the account health page. And so like, it's kind of like they're keeping track of some like unknown ledger against you and you couldn't like 
see what they had. So in that way, like Amazon has clearly made some updates, but um, have you seen any uh, uh, differences in the way that Amazon is just handling sellers? Like let's say more recent trends, like the last year uh, or, or two. So this new account health team that started in about 2019 has really changed its operation in the last year specifically. Okay. So um, account health, I, I keep trying to remind sellers about this, that they, because a lot of sellers will talk to account health and be like, oh, they were so friendly and they were so nice. And what you have to remember is the IRS agent that shows up at your doorstep is friendly and nice too. They're usually not the ones that are, you well, know. Is there not a difference team. between the account health team and the seller performance? There's a huge difference. So right. the account health team is is the front facing contact that you can talk to. Um, there's a call me now button on a lot of seller accounts that you can click to talk to account health. Uh, they have access sometimes to read some of the seller performance notes, but anything you say to them, they're generally the calls are recorded and anything you say to them can be entered into the notes for seller performance to use, but they can't actually say to seller performance, hey, please unsuspend this seller or oh, reinstate this account because they have been- That means I got to answer more of those calls from Seattle and actually be nice. Well, I, you have to be nice to them because there is a new type of suspension called abusing an Amazon associate. Oh, <laughs> shit. That's fun. <laughs> but uh, I've only had one seller that got suspended for abuse, but um, they got reinstated eventually. It was I'm, a very embarrassing plan of action, but- um, so I do have a pretty big operation, but like uh, I leave my number there for like, you know, the major issues. And so I, get, I was getting calls from Seattle about once a week. And the reason I was being a little bit short with them is just because I know where the conversation's going. Um, yeah. And I've already been here, here before. Like we do check up on all these like issues a lot. And it just felt like I was not only repeating myself, but doing to someone that's like really just going through a checklist, like yeah. they're going a checklist of what they have to say and, and what they're going for. And sometimes they don't even speak English very well. Like um, I, I, I realized that like, I have to like show up and like, you know, and react to them. I was like, Oh, that's like, Oh my goodness. Like, um, yeah, we're, we'll get on top of that. Like by Monday, I guarantee you, we got this. Yeah. Our team's like, great. Um, if I do that versus just like, like, you know, trudging along um, and just saying like, yeah, nah, I mean, like saying too few words, um, I do realize that like it doesn't look good. Yeah, you have to be careful though what you say. So, uh, you know, like that's where I use the IRS agent example because like, you know, like in a tax case, the IRS agent collects notes and then they turn it over to a prosecutor who decides that they're going to prosecute for tax fraud. So I think of that account health person as that IRS agent. You don't want to be like, oh, yeah, maybe I took some personal, you know, all my friends out to a baseball game and wrote it off for business. Like you wouldn't say that, right? You know, you're going to hold those cards yourself. Same way you wouldn't say to an account health person, yeah, you know, like one of my sellers once told me this. They said, yeah, they, they kept asking about this product that I bought at Marshall's. And by the end of the conversation, they asked me to confirm that I thought that maybe it was counterfeit. And I was like, no, I don't think that's that it was counterfeit. They're like, oh, well, based on what you said, you made it sound like you thought it was counterfeit. And I'm like, so they twist, they twist the words around. You know, it, it went from being a friendly call to like an investigative, you know, report. And so that's why you just have to be mindful of that. 
The other thing too, is that I also refer to account health as they're sort of the information gatherers for seller performance. So they'll call you and ask questions to clarify things that may or may not be in your favor to clarify. Um, for instance, you know, for instance, there's one, you know, and they'll sometimes ask you to submit appeals for things that might not be in your interest to appeal. Um, a good example is a seller that I worked with who had his account suspended for selling counterfeit items, came to me, I got him reinstated, um, which is really a miracle because it's not every day that you can get an account where the seller actually sold counterfeit items reinstated. But yeah. Amazon was willing to work with us in that case. Seller gets reinstated and like three weeks later, they call him. They're like, hey, you have this um, counterfeit violation on your dashboard that shows that you submitted an appeal a couple of weeks ago, but it never was accepted. We need you to go ahead and submit invoices and a new appeal for that. And seller calls me up like, should I do that? I'm like, and luckily, since, you know, they're one of my retainer clients, I was like, they could. And I was like, uh, no, because we know what's going to happen. If you, because the last time they called you and you submitted a receipt, they suspended you for counterfeit. So we know that this, what, what happens when you submit that same receipt for the same ASIN for the same issue again, you know, it's just, we're going down the same oh, rabbit hole. Geez. And so they, and they called him for three weeks straight, you know, every week, Hey, please submit that receipt. Please submit that receipt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, do you see, uh, give me your honest opinion in the last year, uh, year and a half is Amazon yeah. getting better for sellers or worse? They are getting better for the good sellers and they are getting worse for the sellers that are either committing actual fraud or who have sloppy business practices that make it hard for them to prove that they're a good seller. So they're, you know, like deep down, these are good sellers, but maybe they don't save receipts and maybe they don't say have really good sourcing methods. And so Amazon has been very strict on them. So, so how are they getting, how is Amazon getting better for new sellers? I'm sorry, for, for like, say, good sellers. Well, for good sellers, they're a lot more willing to think outside the box, for instance. So like if we have a seller who sources at TJ Maxx or Marshalls and the receipt says uh, men's apparel, you know, very generic, you know, item number one, two, three, seven, men's apparel, you know, wouldn't have no way to know that men's apparel is actually a Under Armour t-shirt, right? Like that's yeah. that's a pretty big stretch. But if you have a picture of that receipt and you've got a picture of the item with the little Marshall's tag on it that says, you know, one, two, three, four, seven, you know, Under Armour hoodie, whatever it is, Under Armour t-shirt, they're willing to look, look at that and make those logical connections for the seller in ways that in the past, a lot of times they wouldn't necessarily do so. Yeah. Um, I've heard a little bit more often Amazon is uh, not suspending the seller, but like just suspending like an offer. Correct. A lot more offer suspensions, a lot more like uh, 72 hour notices, for instance. That's another big one. So they'll, um, you know, like a good example of that last, uh, last week actually had a seller got hit with a 72 hour notice suspension. Um, it was one of those cases that we know the product was authentic but it was sourced overseas. So it was a little bit more questionable. They, um, you know, whether Amazon would accept an overseas invoice and they were, and at first they came back and said, no, we're not willing to accept this because it's an overseas invoice that shouldn't have been sold here. And we were able to re, you know, redo the appeal, submit the same invoice, but just mention in there, we'll never source at the supplier again. And here's a list of source suppliers that we will be sourcing at that were all based in the United States for Obviously, they're selling on the U.S. marketplace, 
and Amazon is willing to give them that second chance. So that's very interesting. Well, um, I actually think the credit goes to the extra step that you take in, in details. Like they just love details. Um, yes. And honestly, I don't always know what the good details are. That's why I decided to throw on the towel and just uh, work with experts. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah, like if um, if I get suspended, like it's just, there's just too much on the line. I am not going to handle it myself. I actually think, um, I think in like 2017, 2018, I probably submitted about eight or nine appeals myself, and I hate writing appeals. Oh my goodness! Like uh, you just are so careful about what you have to say, what you have to write, and um, you know, like. Uh, I mean, I don't know, like I still have yeah. like, trauma from this. And so maybe I'm not the best person to talk to, but like, um, yeah, I just, just don't want to write any appeals for the rest of my life. Uh, I don't, I don't blame you. Although I do love writing appeals because that's the, so like when I write appeals, I write them as if it's like a court brief, because that's what I found is if you present it as if you're going in front of a judge, it's twofold. One, you're giving an extreme level of detail that's actually necessary for these cases. and two. If the case did have to go to arbitration, which 99% of them don't, but if it did, you've now created that paper trail of really good appeals so that you don't have this, you know, the, the arbitration arbitrator going, well, why is your brief so good? And these appeals are so bad, you know? So, um, you know, there's that. The other thing too, is I should mention the big change that Amazon recently has done is, uh, sellers have been getting emails from, uh, Amazon, if they submit appeals that were written, not by me, but by other other parties that say, we cannot accept this appeal because it's been submitted multiple times to Amazon. Oh, so they are now tracking. They're yeah. after the templates. Yes, they are absolutely after the templates. So like with my new law firm, I don't use any templates. We start from scratch. We write a custom appeal for every case going based on the details of what's going on because that's what sellers deserve and it's what they need. So, well, um, sounds like your skill set is uh, much in need. And um, basically, because like it is a skill, like, like it's just absolutely a skill. And um, I definitely recommend that people like don't <laughs> just uh, uh, feel like you can, I don't know rest your entire business off of like some ideas like if you really really get in the trenches and learn a lot of the stuff like okay but um we need to a certain size like it's just too big the risk is too much uh and yeah uh reference an expert and um you know jeff it's clear uh when i see the smile on your face about writing an appeal that like you know you <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> you you enjoy this a little bit um, it's a challenge so i enjoy it because it's, it's for me it's just like David versus Goliath when it comes to Amazon. And we're able to help sellers like stand up for what typically, the, I mean, you know, 99% of the sellers I work with have done nothing wrong. They've just some bot has, has chosen them for something that's, and, and you can see it. Like when we, when I look at it objectively, I can understand, okay, this makes sense why Amazon might have picked this seller out. 
But then that's my goal is to prove to them why they got it wrong. And they actually don't mind being proven wrong. That's what they want to see is that they got it wrong. Yeah. I'm going to sell for you just a little bit. Um, You, you have a service offering for $89 a month. Like is to to get you on retainer. This is, you know, jeffschick.com. And um, that really does feel like on the inexpensive side. Um, for uh, what you're offering, knowing that like I personally have uh, with, I won't say who, but various providers like have spent, you know, thousands of dollars to, uh, you know, to get help. And so, I mean, uh, yeah. So uh, tell, tell me a little bit more about like what your offering is and like what you, who you think actually should uh, consider it. So I work with sellers of all sizes. So the, the who should consider it really is sellers that are serious about protecting their business and are, I'm big on preventative maintenance. So just like, you know, it's all about preventing major issues from happening, but having that backup in case a catastrophe does happen. So I work with sellers, like I think my the smallest seller I work with right now does just a little bit over six figures a year. Um, I have sellers that I work with that do t- over $10 million a year. So kind of all around the gamut. I've actually got several of them over five and over eight and over 10. And it's so it's, it really is not like, and of course for them, they're like 89 bucks a month. That's, you know, Starbucks money. So, it you know, it doesn't even, you know, yeah. and when you think about it, it really is like, it is less than the cost of drinking uh, Starbucks every day. I, I mean, I hate my business. I, in the fact that like, you know, 10, 20, $30,000 doesn't really move the needle in our cash flow for better or worse. Like sometimes like, it's like, it's like awesome. It's like, holy cow, we can like spend this much money. But other times it's like, oh my goodness, to improve this business, it's impossible. Uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> All right. Yeah. When I was, so when I was in law school, I grew my business from, we were, when I started law school, I was doing 600,000 a year in sales. And then by the time I graduated law school, I was doing 2.4 million. So I get it where it's like you could spend, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, on a hundred on a two hundred thousand dollar American Express bill, a hundred bucks didn't actually change much at the end of the day when you're writing that painful check to Amex. But um, but yeah, so I get it. But yeah, no, I guess are I should you, say what, uh, are you still selling? So I have not sold since COVID started, but now that I moved back to Atlanta, one of my vendors that I worked with before for at shampoo they actually reached out to me and they're like, we want you to start selling because they had, they had actually utilized me as a lawyer to help them, you know, navigate like online distribution contracts and going, they went to this very large fortune 500 distributor. That's not Amazon specific. They're just a normal distributor that claimed they had an Amazon guru on their team that was going to help take their products onto Amazon. I was like, be careful because this guy has makes me laugh. But yeah, we got an Amazon guru on our team. Said everyone ever. I'm actually really tired of like, um, there's probably 5,000, 10,000 so-called Amazon experts on LinkedIn. Everyone just like wants to say they're an expert. And the more I see it, the more I'm like, no, not everyone can be an expert. Right. So yeah, so this, this company actually came back to me. They're like, Jeff, what do we have to do to get you to start now that you're back? back in your same office as before and everything's all there. Like, 
what do we have to do to get you to take over Amazon? And I'm like, <laughs> better margins. That's the key. Better margins. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> but uh, so we'll see. I might actually start doing it just for fun well, with that I mean, brand. Uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, I'd encourage you to do it. It keeps you, it keeps you honest. Um, not, not, sorry, not necessarily honest. It keeps you like empathetic. Uh, right. Like, uh, uh, so like I've been working on smart scale for about, uh, almost two years now. Um, at least from like idea to like launch and it is absolutely me being a seller has like, just been like, you know, uh, allowed me to like, you know, nail it when I'm when we're launching a new feature, we don't launch duds. Um, we, we've got stuff that is new, that is helpful. And um, we actually have some, by the time this podcast is, is live, people uh, will probably have heard or seen of our new search terms stuff where like, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's great. So, you know, if, you, if you're able to be a seller, yeah. you, you can see things coming and, you know, you can, you can empathize when things go south. So uh, right. hopefully, hopefully they, hopefully they give you a little bit better margins. That's what I'm hoping. So we'll see. I, um, so, so there, there's that, but I, of course, practicing law, I do love what I do there. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely that balance well, of figuring out how to, how to do it all, I guess. That's where you and I differ. I, I, I don't know. There's certain parts of what you do that I'm just like, oh, that's just not for me. Um, right. but I, oh, that, this is another like distraction, but I do appreciate getting better at new skills. Like I'm actually doing a lot of copywriting and I took a copywriting course. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like. I enjoy writing, but this is, this is like a different type of writing, not, not, right. not, not formal. Um, well, Jeff, what's your, uh, you know, your, your last name has a few extra words that people uh, uh, may, may get wrong. So it's uh, jeffschick.com. That's J E F F S C H I C K.com. You are correct. Yes. And, and you spelled then, it correctly or pronounced it correctly too. So I'm yeah. impressed. Then um, what uh, does getting started look like? Is this, do you, do you, do you get everyone on the phone just for when they start off or do you just like sign in? Here you are. So people can sign up online. It's actually, it's totally online based sign up process. Uh, from the minute you sign up, you're protected against suspension. So um, I have had several sellers where, you know, they sign up on a Monday or a Tuesday and then the very next day they get that 72 hour notice from Amazon and they don't pay anything for me to write their appeal. Um, and we go through the whole steps, you know, if that's a, an appeal to legal or it's appeal to the executive, if it's a seller performance appeal, whatever type of appeal it's that's covered, um, well, at the, uh, in that monthly fee. And then. I would say, and then unlimited calls start from day one. You can call me, you can text me, you can email me. Everybody gets my cell phone number. And it's because if you have an issue, I want to be there to help you solve it. So. Okay. Wow. That's very generous. Um, I, uh, if you, if anyone signs up for the podcast, we actually, you know, this podcast keeps growing. We get about 3000 downloads per episode. And uh, so if you get any signups, um, send me a message just so I know that my audience is paying attention. I appreciate it. Thank uh, you. Well, I uh, thank you, Jeff, so much for coming and talk about uh, this. It's probably one of my uh, more enjoyable conversations when we're when we're talking about the underbelly of Amazon. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, and I hope to hope to run into you at some point in the future. 
Well, um, so that, that makes up today's episode. Oh, I forget, I got one final question. Um, I like to leave uh, wrap up episodes by asking you if you have a smart hack in either life or business. Um, so uh, what, what what's your smart hack? Ooh, smart hack. Um, pen and paper work phenomenally well still. So I have a stack of Amazon Basics notepads that I keep around the office and around the house. Because when you come up with ideas, I used to think like, oh, everyone, you just like put it into notes. No, you never look at like Apple notes or whatever after that. And Microsoft Word documents get like, they don't get lost, but they're, you never remember to pull it up. But that stack of like, you know, legal notepads that, and I get Amazon Basics because they're cheap, not because they're good, <laughs> but there's just no difference. Um, and you grab these, you, know, you grab a notepad, and I, I write it down. So I just come up like, I'll sometimes, I keep one by my bed because sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I have an idea and I'll pull that notepad out and just write it down. And maybe it's a dud, but maybe it turns into something. So I love it. I love it. That's great. Okay. Well, everyone, if you enjoy what you listen to, uh, uh, make sure you uh, subscribe or actually Spotify. Now you can follow and review. I don't know if I have a lot of reviews on Spotify. So uh, if you want to do me a solid, uh, shoot. Um, and uh, we will catch you on the next episode. One, two, three. Yeah.